your Bibles with you today or your silenced electronic devices. We'd like you to open up to Philippians chapter 2 as we will be continuing our study today through the book of Philippians, the letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi. In our current home fellowship group that I mentioned earlier, we're currently studying the book True Community by Jerry Bridges, which is kind of an in-depth study of what it means for us to be a part of the church, to be a part of the true community of believers in Christ. In that study, we've been looking at the meaning and uses of the Greek word koinonia, which is found throughout the New Testament. We have learned that true biblical community is, first of all, the sharing of a common life in Christ. We are saved by Christ individually when we repent and believe in Him, when we put our faith and trust in Him, in His completed work in saving us. So we're saved by Him individually, but we then become a part of the family of God. Not only are we born again, but we're born into a new family, adopted by our Heavenly Father to be His beloved children. So we become a part of the family of God, a part of His church, God's true community on this planet. Koinonia also means sharing. Sharing what we have, gifts, talents, abilities, time, and possessions with our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we've seen, it includes having spiritual fellowship, sharing what we learn and know from God's Word with one another. It includes being partners in the spread of the gospel, in using our spiritual gifts to minister to one another, in sharing our possessions with those in need and supporting those who preach and teach, and even sharing in the sufferings of Christ and of His people. In all ways, we are called to be servants. All of us, every every child of God, Every believer in Christ is called to be a servant, to serve in any way that we are able, and all of that to the glory of Christ. That's really what it means to be His church. That that you and I exist to glorify Him in this community that He has given to us. And if we indeed live in this manner... Those outside of our community will see it. We will shine as lights in the darkness. They will see it. And by God's grace, some of them will want what we have. They'll want what they see in us. Now, what does all of this have to do with our text for today? Well, I can't believe the parallels, honestly. 
between that study and what we've been studying in the second chapter of Philippians. As we have learned in this sermon series through Paul's letter to the Philippians, Paul was concerned for the church in regards to their unity, in regards to their being a true community, in regards to their serving one another, in regards to their being a light in the darkness of this selfish, sin-filled world in which we live. Paul wanted them to experience true community, to experience the love of Christ in their lives, and to shine as a light for Christ. Now, we've already learned of Paul's great love for the church and his fervent desire for them to continue to live as partners with him in gospel ministry. And he has demonstrated his own example of selfless suffering for the sake of Christ and his gospel. And he encourages them to do the same. To serve Christ no matter the cost no matter the potential suffering that may come from it. And he's not asking them to do anything that he has not himself done. He's writing this letter from prison. And he's in prison for preaching the gospel. And that is such an amazing example for them and for us. Amen? Now, according to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, his desire for the church in Philippi and through them, his desire for us, is to live lives, look at what he writes, Philippians 1, 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He then teaches them and us what they must do to achieve this goal. This is the goal. Living a life worthy of the gospel. Standing firm on the promises of God. Having one spirit, one mind, and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In other words, we cannot do this alone. We cannot. We cannot do this separate from the body of Christ, the true community of Christ. We cannot do this separate from our brothers and sisters in Christ. But in order to accomplish this, he teaches them what they must do to achieve this unity, this unity of purpose. This ability to have one mind. This ability to stand side by side. And let me just tell you this. 
It's going to require them to live differently than they did prior to coming to know Christ. They're going to have to live differently than those in the world live. Chiefly, they're going to have to deny their own personal interests and follow the example of Jesus and of Paul himself. And this is what he tells them in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Let me read that to you. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Well, that's pretty simple, right? Don't do anything for yourself. Just for your own selfish motives. Don't do anything that will benefit just you. But in humility, count others more significant or more important than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And as we've seen, this is a, this is a high calling, folks. This goes against our human nature. This goes against our sin nature. This goes against our flesh. Right? Because before coming to Christ, it was all about me. It was all about getting what I wanted, what I desired. It was all about me. And now suddenly... God, through the Apostle Paul, is telling us it's, it has to be all about others. All about our brothers and sisters in Christ. But don't worry. If that's true in the body of Christ, then your needs will be taken care of as well. Right? Because instead of just me worrying about me, all of you are worrying about me. Isn't that beautiful? So Paul then explains how the Son of God is the ultimate example of living in this manner. All that Jesus did, he did for the sake of others. Culminating in his sacrificial death upon the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he also reminded them that upon completing that work, Jesus was exalted by the Father as a result of his perfect obedience. And then in verse 12, Paul goes back to the application. Let me read that to you. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation, fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, that's easy, right? And he's speaking to the church as a whole here, not individuals. The church as a whole. Work out your collective salvation with fear and trembling. You can do so because God provides the means of grace necessary. God provides what is needed for us to do that. We do it in his power, in his strength, in his wisdom. And we do it without grumbling, without complaining, without disputing, without arguing. 
that we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so in the day of Christ I might be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. That's a high bar, isn't it? That Paul sets. But remember, Paul has seen what is possible. He's also seen when the church does not live in this manner, the difficulties and troubles that result, such as the church in Corinth. So Paul wants Christ to be glorified in the church. And that's only going to happen when we, his people, are not focused on ourselves but we're focused on serving others. So in our text for today, Paul concludes this section of the letter by telling the church of his plan to send to them two examples of servants of Christ, to inspire them, to teach them, and to report back to Paul as to how they are doing. So if you're able, I'd like you to stand for the reading of our text. I'll be reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust that the Lord shall, in the Lord that, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. So Paul here reveals to the church in Philippi his plan to minister to them. First of all, he will send this letter to them in the hands of Epaphroditus, who is one of their own, a brother sent by them to help minister to Paul. He will bring these instructions from Paul to them. Then, after a time, Paul will send Timothy to observe how they have applied the instructions so that he can report back to Paul 
before Paul himself comes to visit and give any needed correction to them. This follows the pattern that my wife, Patty, shared with me that she was trained to use as a retail store assistant manager. Some of you may not know this, but for over 25 years, she worked in retail sales. And for the last 20 of those years, she was an assistant manager. Part of her responsibility was to train employees. And the method that she used had three steps. Instruct, observe, and correct. First, teach them what they needed to do, then observe them to see if they were indeed doing it right, and third, after correction, add additional instruction if they were not. So Paul will send to the church two exemplary servants of Christ, one to deliver Paul's instructions and one to observe and report back to Paul as to how they are doing. So Paul here a commendation for both Epaphroditus and Timothy, both of whom are known by the Philippians, but the length and the language of these two commendations suggests that Paul intends for these men to be seen as examples or paradigms for how all the Philippians should conduct themselves. These two men, according to Paul, are exemplary examples of what Paul desires for all Christians. That all Christians would care for the needs of one another and work together for the sake of the gospel and even, if necessary, suffer for the sake of Christ. So I want us to look at these two men in the order in which they will be sent by Paul. So Epaphroditus first and then Timothy. So we'll look at verses 25 to 30 first, where Paul tells them he believes it's necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. Now it might be a little difficult for us to relate to the circumstances of the first century A.D., especially in matters of communication and medicine. Let's face it, we have means of almost instant communication with others. And we pretty much have access to medical care or medicine at any time it is needed. It was not so in the first century A.D. In the Roman world, at the time of the writing of this letter, people expected to die from any illness or disease. And they were actually surprised when they recovered. And the only way to communicate with a friend from afar was through a courier by letter. In this case, it would take approximately six weeks for a courier to reach Philippi from Rome. Six weeks. So, a little bit slower communication than what we have today. So Paul is sending this letter using Epaphroditus as the courier, and he explains to them why he chose to do so. 
First, listen to this description of him. He describes him as my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. This is high praise from the Apostle Paul. Paul considers him to be his brother in Christ, his fellow worker for Christ, and even a soldier for Christ. So that Paul has absolute trust and confidence in his ability to deliver this letter, Lord willing. Another reason for Paul to send him was that he was one of them. He had been sent from the Philippian church with financial support for Paul and to minister to Paul's needs. Apparently, while on the way to deliver that gift to Paul, he had fallen ill and he had come close to death. When word of his illness had reached the church, probably at the return of his traveling companions, they had no way of knowing the outcome. The only thing they knew was that he was seriously ill, and they would have assumed that he had died. Paul acknowledges that his illness had brought him close to death, but he had pressed on to complete the task given to him to deliver their gift to Paul, even risking his life to do so. But God had mercy upon him and delivered him from his illness. And Paul wanted the Philippians to rejoice in seeing him again and hearing his testimony of God's grace towards him. Think about it. Epaphroditus reminds us that sometimes suffering accompanies our living for Christ and being servants for Christ. There is quite often a misconception that all will go well with us if we're followers of Christ. Some even preach and teach such nonsense. The reality is that we serve the Lord in a fallen and broken world and suffering is a result of the sin of this world. But the good news is this, where the effects sin abound, God's grace abounds even more. Amen? God pours out His grace and His love upon His children. Grace sufficient for all of our needs. Grace sufficient for whatever we must go through. God's grace is there. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. Whatever afflictions we suffer, according to the Apostle Paul, and he knew something about suffering afflictions, whatever afflictions we suffer, he describes as momentary light afflictions. Momentary light afflictions. They may not feel that way in the midst of it, but in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us, Paul says, momentary, light. Because we have all eternity that awaits us in the presence of our Lord. And our Heavenly Father will sustain us by His grace until our mission on this earth is completed, and then He will take us home to be with Him forever. 
just as he's taken our dear Seda home to be with him. Her work on earth is done. So Paul continues to commend Epaphroditus in verses 29 and 30. Let me read those again to us. Paul writes, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul says that they should welcome him home and honor him for being a faithful servant, for fulfilling his mission, even risking his life for the work of Christ. So Paul will send Epaphroditus with this letter, which instructs them in how they should conduct themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. How they should be certain enough, in the church, and striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. And then, when the time is right, Paul will also send Timothy to observe how they are doing and to bring a report back to Paul. So Paul lets the church know that he will be sending Timothy to check on how they're doing and report back to him. He is hoping for a joyful report from Timothy as to how they have received his instructions and how they have implemented them in their lives. Timothy will also serve as another outstanding example of what it means to be a servant for Christ. You know, some people learn well from preaching or teaching. Others learn better by example, by observing someone doing what they are to be doing, right? That's why we have things called discipleship or internship or um you know training in a in a in a in an occupation where you train alongside of somebody and watch what they do so here paul is going to send timothy who he's identified as his son in the faith he's going to send to them a penultimate example of what it means to be a servant of Christ, so that they can learn not only from the teaching, but from the example as well. Now, Timothy is known to the Philippians as he was with Paul when the church was founded. Nevertheless, Paul goes on to write a lengthy commendation of Timothy that shows him to be that example of what he desires of them. Paul states that he has no one like him, which in the Greek literally means of like soul or of like mind with him. Then he, goes on, then he goes on to commend him as someone who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And if you look back, this follows the same pattern of instructions that Paul had written to them in Philippians 2 verses 1 to 4. So the same things that he had told them they need to do, he now says, Timothy is one of these. Timothy lives as a servant of Christ. Timothy is someone who is of like soul and like mind with me, Paul says. 
Someone who will be concerned for your welfare. And then Paul contrasts Timothy with others who, quote, seek after their own interests, not the entrance of Jesus Christ. Now, there are many people like that. As I said before, in fact, I would say to you that at times, that probably describes all of us. Because guess what? We're still sinners, right? And so there will be those times when we will forget that our calling is to think more highly of others than ourselves, when we will forget that we are to put others' needs before ourselves, and instead we put our needs first. And according to Paul, that's not the way we should live as children of God. So Paul contrasts Timothy with these others. He's an example of one who does not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, just as Christ did, just as Paul did, just as we are to do. Paul wants all Christians to have this same mindset, to have the same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, according to Philippians 2.5. Before he gives the example of Christ, he says, this is how I want you to think. This is how I want you to think, so then that's the way you will also act and live. Not living for yourselves, living for Christ, and therefore living for his body, one another. This is, what, this is what Paul desires. And I believe this is what Christ desires for his church today as well. Paul then reminds the Philippians of their own knowledge. He says, you know Timothy's proven work, worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Paul is telling them that they can count on Timothy Representing Paul. Paul was mentor. Paul, Paul was his spiritual father in the faith. It was Paul who discipled Timothy. And he's assuring them, when you see Timothy, you're seeing me. That's a powerful commendation, isn't it? Just like when Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father. Would that we were all like Timothy, putting the interests of others above our own. And here again, the way of being a humble servant is what is needed and what is encouraged in the church. We are to reflect Christ to others. We are to pattern ourselves after the humility and servanthood of Christ and those who follow that example. We too can make a difference in this world when we live for the sake of the gospel. When we are putting Christ and others before our own needs. This is what Jesus did for us. He put our needs above his own. He came down from heaven 
taking the form of a man, living in this sinful world, suffering all that he suffered, not for himself, but for us. And his desire is that we would follow his example. Just as Paul followed his example. And just as Paul writes that we should follow his example as he follows Christ. And then in verses 23 and 24, Paul tells them that he will send Timothy to them as soon as he finds out about his trial before Caesar. And then after Timothy returns with his report, Paul hopes to come to them as well, Lord willing. And we believe that he indeed did after his release from his first imprisonment. Paul wants to be with them as soon as he can. But in the meantime, he will send his letter and two servants of Christ to encourage them to be an example for them and to let Paul know how they are doing. Now in closing, I want to just say this, that both in our home fellowship group study and in this passage that we've been studying over the last few weeks, we are being called to live as servants for Christ. We ourselves should be very grateful, not only that God has saved us, but that we have received the word of our Lord. We have received his instructions for how we should live our lives in unity with other believers, how we should live our lives as servants of Christ, how we can strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. God did not leave us without instructions. God did not say, figure it out on your own. No. He loves us and he's given us his word so that we can know not only him, but we can know what pleases him, what glorifies him, what his desire is for us, his beloved children. And we should also be very thankful that God has given us examples in our lives. Those who have taught us, those who have discipled us, those who have encouraged us, those who have counseled us, and those who have demonstrated for us what it means to live as a servant for Christ. We are blessed by those examples, aren't we? And I'm going to take it a step further. I believe that God desires you to be an example for others. Not only should we be discipled and follow the example of others, but we should then turn around and disciple others. That's what we see in Epaphroditus. That's what we see in Timothy, isn't it? They were ministered to by Paul. They learned from Paul's example. And then Paul sends them out to do the same thing. That should be the desire of each and every one of us. My, my prayer is that we would rededicate ourselves to live as servants for Christ, to live as members of this local fellowship, this local family of Christians, 
to live as members of Christian family fellowship. To live as a family of Christians in fellowship with one another. And to do it in a manner that not only pleases and glorifies Christ, but causes us to continue to grow in grace and knowledge and to be a light. Just as Paul wanted for the Philippians. I believe he wants that for us, for Christian Family Fellowship, to be a light here in this present darkness so that we might see many others come to know Christ as a result. That is my prayer for us. And I believe that's a prayer that our Heavenly Father definitely wants to answer.